Hina Mystery, and you're listening to Deliberations on Diaspora, a podcast on global diaspora history. This podcast was created by the students of History 404, Themes in Diaspora History at Queen's University in Canada. This course addresses themes such as mobility, borders, citizenship, displaced peoples, race, and labor. Students were assigned topics and sources related to diaspora culture and identity and had to speak about them. I wanted to thank the Department of History at Queen's for their support and funding, as well as CFRC, the campus radio station. The music for this podcast was provided by Erez Zobari, and the song is entitled The Fig Tree. The green summer's gone, will you go on? Hi everyone, I'm Christina. I'm Laura. And I'm Olivia. And today we're discussing Warsan Shire's work, Teaching My Mother How to Give Birth, and how that relates to the theme of diaspora. So to get started, we're going to get Olivia to give us a quick intro to who Warsan Shire is and a little bit of a context for her background. Uh, Born in Kenya to Somali parents, Warsan Shire's poetry evokes a longing for home without any real belonging to home. Uh, She uh, currently resides in London, England. I don't mean this to take away from her connection to home because that's undeniable and impervious to fracture in my opinion, but I mean it in in a more figurative sense, being a first-generation African woman. She will always retain some sort of connection to home, even if it is imagined, which is why I think her work is so relevant to our course on themes in diaspora history. Uh, Her poems play a lot on Benedict Anderson's claims of imagined realities and communities in diasporic contexts. She's able to combine the memories of her parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunts with her imagination to generate and create truths. The complicated circumstances surrounding refugees and asylum seekers are put in the forefront of discussion on diasporas in similar fashion to Sharon Bala's book, The Boat People. And for any of you who haven't read Sharon Bala's work, it was published this year. Um, It discusses the journey of refugee migrants from Sri Lanka to Canada and the trials and tribulations they face during passage and upon arrival. Both works sympathize with the extraordinarily desperate circumstances of the refugee experience. They do so through their emphasis on the decision to flee in the hope of some imagined better life, regardless of any sort of real solid assurance of it. The prospect in itself is enough for these people, and I find resting your fate on faith alone to be quite powerful. Uh, Warsign Shire uh, prides herself on sticking the closest to the truth in her work, which is something she also reiterates through interviews. She doesn't like to inflate or embellish stories, and that's why I find her poetry so powerful. She emphasizes the humanity and conditions that are less than humane, and in doing so, confronts the complicated nature and double-sidedness of war. Uh, Her work differs, or Bala's work differs from Shire in the way she fictionalizes her stories in entirety and tends to embellish, but I feel to the same effectiveness. Yeah, for sure. Um, And to build off that, we want to provide some further context for Shire's work to give you a better understanding of where she's coming from and where her (laughs) writings come from. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, So Shire's work, Teaching My Mother to Give Birth, was published in the year 2011. Um, And as Olivia mentioned, she's a first-generation immigrant from Somalia. So much of her writing is in relation to that experience um, and in the context of Eastern African diaspora and the effects of that. She touches on a lot of really important themes throughout this work, um, notably concepts that we're going to discuss today, including war, family, gender, violence, and sexuality are really prevalent. I imagine Warshan Shires uh, will have a similar legacy to that of Phyllis Wheatley. Um, Both were born in Africa, Wheatley in West Africa rather than East. Wheatley was sold as a slave to the Wheatley family in the U.S. and thereafter moved to England once freed, so both are migrants of England. Um, 
It was there she became the first African-American poet to ever be published in 1773, actually. And um, I feel both's capacity to write beautifully in their time is an act of resistance in itself to the tendency, to the tendency of um, mainstream scholarship to ignore the academic and artistic achievements of women of color. Uh, they directly challenge notions of intellectual inferiority among diasporic subjects. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really unique comparison between the two authors, with both Shire and Wheatley having such similar backgrounds and writing styles. And uh, before we really dive into Shire's work, I think it's important to truly explain the concept of diaspora and provide our working definition of that. Yeah, so we've already used this term a lot in our conversation, um, but the term diaspora is really a subject of debate within the academic community and within migrant people throughout the world. Um, how we intend to use it here as more of an analytical tool than a fixed identity, which is an idea brought to us from the author Safran. Um, but a definition does provide us with some parameters for this discussion. So we will be using it here to discuss an ethnic community physically dispersed from an original homeland, which continues to preserve its particular identity. And where the points of contention come in are surrounding definitions, which include a longing for a return to home or a wanting to return to home. And um, I think in a lot of cases, like an an idealization of the homeland is left behind by migrants and immigrants um, and replaced by new religious, regional, and cultural identifiers. Um, I think that many victims of involuntary dispersal often don't want to return home. There's not that longing for it, um, especially in Civil War contexts. Yeah, for sure. Which is why some scholars advocate for less of a definition and use of this term of diaspora in this way, and more of an analysis of how peoples become diasporic in the first place. Um, Lily chose shows us how this is off, this displacement often occurs in relationships to power, um, and in this way, diaspora emerges as a subjectivity alive to the effects of globalization and transnational migration, but also attuned to the histories of colonialism and imperialism. So basically that diaspora doesn't exist in isolation. It exists within contemporary relationships of power in the global context. Definitely. Um, So knowing that, how do we think that Shire's work relates to the theme of diaspora? Yeah, I think this is a really complicated question, and I think that Shire's work really complicates our understanding of diaspora, especially as it relates to themes of gender and sexuality, as we've talked about before. Um, Sanchez makes a really important note when he discusses how bodies are used as a metaphor in Shire's work to invoke the emotional toll of migration, which is often a perspective that we don't receive in diaspora studies. Um, This can be seen in her poem titled Trying to Swim with God, when she says, My mother says this city is slowly killing all our women. Um, And when you take this quote out of the context, it could be talking about many multiple forms of violence. But when you consider her experience with the Somali war and her family's experience in that context of migration, it becomes clear that her diasporic experience has violence strewn within it. Um, And I think this is a personal and emotional perspective that is really important and that we don't often see in academia. Um, It also really demonstrates how her intersections of race, religion, migration, and gender are all a part of the diasporic experience Mm -hmm. and really shows how her personal experience is the diasporic experience and how we need to place it within that larger conversation and in our complications of our understanding of that term. 
Um, she also shows how the tension between belonging to homeland versus unbelonging in hostland is a part of the diasporic experience. Yeah, I think she emphasizes uh, the dichotomy between homeland and hostland very well. Yeah, and I think that this theme really shines through in one of her works, um, Old Spice. And I'm going to quote that here quickly. Um, so it says, Your grandfather is dying. He begs you to take me home, Yakwe. I just want to see it one last time. You don't know how to tell him that it won't be anything like the way he left it. Um, and the reason I wanted to showcase this uh, particular quote here um, is just because I think it's so powerful in, dis in terms of displaying this systematic tension um, between the belonging with the homeland and the unbelonging in this new hostland. Um, so knowing that, I think we want to touch on how gender and sexuality emerge with Warsaw Shire's work um, and where that fits into our discussion of diaspora. Yeah, I think this is these themes are often also undiscovered in themes of diaspora, so I think it's really important how she brings us to the forefront of that conversation, and I think really raises the question about why we must look at gender in diaspora in the first place, why, like, why take a gendered lens to this analytic term, um, and I think it really draws attention to the ways in which men, women, and non-binary folks all experience migration differently. Um, and as they are located within relationships of power, so things like patriarchy, capitalism, citizenship, nation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and really shows how migration is a gendered process, as it is that idea is brought to us by Harzig. Um, and I think some manifestations of this gendered process can be seen in things like labor migration and the gendered nature of labor migration, and how that comes up in things like domestic labor and manual labor, and how we see that as a gendered process, as seeing women more in domestic labor and why that is and how that comes about with themes of gender. Also with things like citizenship and how different rules apply for different people of different embodiments of gender and how that's informed by relationships of power. So why is it that some people have an easier time attaining citizenship and others experience more systemic barriers? Um, I also think she does a really great job of using women's bodies as a metaphor for things like war and both as the location of pain and joy as described by Sanchez, state racism and mourning. Um, I think this is seen in her poem, May Mun's Mouth, when she says, I imagine her ho hoisted by the waist, wearing stockings, learning to kiss with her new tongue. Um, I think this is a really powerful example of diasporic pain and belonging and challenges and really uses women's bodies and sexuality to describe that experience, which is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I also just want to build on Lara's point there um, and note that this uh, sexuality and this gendered violence um, is also passed down to your children as well. Um, this is a generational issue, um, and I think that this is prevalent in Shire's work, especially in her uh, poem Ugly, um, which states, Your daughter's face is a small riot. Her hands are a civil war a refugee camp behind each ear, a body littered with ugly things. So I think this really depicts um, her interpretation of how body, how women's bodies really are a battleground, um, but also still this side of beauty stating, but God, doesn't she wear the world well? So in knowing this, I think we want to further this discussion into the topic of sexual violence and how that emerges in these poems, um, and then also why this is often a neglected theme within diaspora studies. Yeah, I just wanted to say that the poem Ugly also really conveyed the kind of generational trauma behind um, war, which mm -hmm. was really interesting for me. 
But um, the assertion that rape is a culture rather than just an incident is effective in dismissing the belief that rape is relatively uncommon, which is exactly what Shire's work conveys through her poems regarding sexual violence. These kinds of narratives are more radical forms of resistance as they help people better understand the realities of rape. Uh, this notion allows connections to be made between gender, sexuality, and violence. It also addresses their relationship to power and pleasure, sexism, and misogyny. She explores the fami familial, racial, and economic variables behind such a culture, and in doing so establishes the historical and contemporary significance of her findings. Rape culture is a relevant form of education because it's, effective, it's an effective concept in responding to and resisting sexual violence. Sexual violence that diasporic groups and women are all too subjected to, are all too often subjected to given their disproportionate burdens and vulnerability. Shire's poems demonstrate how violence is directed towards some bodies more than others and how women's bodies become battlegrounds. A woman's experience of sexual assault is dependent on the social, cultural, and legal definitions of rape in that specific time and place. Yeah, for sure. I think that she really shows how gender, ethnicity, spatial settings, and styles of sexual politics all affect these experiences. Um, mm -hmm. To build off that, in order to really showcase Warsan's work, we have each chosen a selection of poems that we found particularly, particularly important to this conversation. So, Christina, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so I chose a piece that's entitled Fire, um, and I really found this to be a powerful description about gender norms and a women's perception of self-worth self and also personal autonomy. Um, so it's kind of a longer one, so I'm just going to read a small passage that really resonated with me. So, her mother phoned, what do you mean he hit you? Your father hit me all the time, but I never left him. He pays the bills and he comes home at night, what more do you want? So um, for me, I just found this passage so powerful when we're considering the violence that it depicts, um, but also really the reaction to that violence and the normalcy of it. Um, and I think that this is kind of a theme that goes throughout Warsan's work um, and is also really prevalent in the poem Birds, which Olivia has chosen to showcase here. Yeah, I wanted to briefly discuss Birds. I think it's a good example of how culture often shapes gender role expectations. The poem's about a girl who uses pigeon blood to fool her new husband and his mother into thinking she's a virgin. I find it very empowering since she's defying gender norms related to sexuality, and I also find it sexually liberating in the sense that it denotes the idea of females shamelessly satisfying their sexual needs and desires without the burden of guilt or judgment. Yeah, for sure. And I see a lot of those themes reflected in the poem I chose to talk about too. Um, titled Conversations About Home. I think this poem is a very powerful embodiment of Shire's own intersections of race, gender, and migration. Um, this poem ex explores themes of displacement and how the violence of war is often a push factor for mass migration. She does a good job in exploring these themes of talking about the common experience of diaspora as one of loss and memory and the challenge of adjusting to the customs and culture of a host land while holding on to the memory of home. Um, a quote that really stood out to me from the first passage of this reading goes as follows. Um, she says, I tore up and ate my own passport in an airport hotel. And I thought this line really illuminates the ways in which the state further aggravates this struggle that she's facing and how state racism makes people fearful to claim their diasporic identities and instead try to hide them. Further, I think she does a really good job and I really appreciated how she uses her body as a map and a metaphor for the pain of 
dislocation in this case and really asks the audience to read her body for the answers of her dislocation and of her pain and of her country's war. She does this when she says, they ask me, how did you get here? Can't you see it on my body? The Libyan desert red with immigrant bodies, which I found really powerful. I also thought that it was very powerful how she uses her own embodiment to wade into the discussion about diaspora and memory and how diasporic memory of a homeland or lack of can be seen as both a betrayal to diasporic communities and a racialized crime in particular homelands. Um, Just as we've seen Hartman discern in his discussion of the role and memory of African diaspora and the discrepancies it creates within that diasporic community and how Cho discusses how memory is central to the process of becoming diasporic, Shire demonstrates her complicated relationship with memory as a force which both pushes her away from belonging in her new houseland context and pushes her away from her diasporic belonging because she migrated at such a young age. And in the last section of this poem, I think what really drove me to pick this one to talk about is its address of anti-immigrant sentiment in her new houseland and the ignorance of the sentiment towards the violence of countries at war. Um, She does this when she says, Now my home is the mouth of a shark. Now my home is the barrel of a gun. I'll see you on the other side. Yeah, I think all these works are really powerful and just goes to show you like the overarching themes that Warsaw Shire is really trying to convey um, in her compilation here. Um, And the last one we really want to discuss um, that really resonated with all of us is actually the very last poem uh, that she includes in this work, and it's called In Love and in War. Um, It's pretty short, so I'm going to read the whole thing for you today. Um, So it says, To my daughter I will say, when the men come, set yourself on fire. Um, And I think I speak for all of us when I say that this just really resonated with the theme that we um, we can see that Warsan really wanted to end this book off with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it really interesting, the use of fire, um, as fire is associated with um, both love and war and um, the kind of emotional extremities um, that go with kind of like passion and rage. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also thought this was a really powerful mobilization of the image of the body on fire to make the reader imagine the feeling of gender-based violence um, and also a really powerful articulation of agency and taking control over one's own body, which is something that is so often lost in war, and especially for women. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I think to some of our arguments here, we want to discuss how these pieces really bettered our understanding of of global diaspora histories, um, and also why teaching my mother to give birth is such an important work that we're here discussing today. Yeah, well, I think what this piece does a really great job of doing is helping us to better understand how diaspora is a gendered experience and having that come from a personal account is so important and really places us in her shoes for a moment. Absolutely. I think she really does an amazing job at taking a topic that is historically so political and conceptual and reminding us that it really is a personal experience and the effects of diaspora are so much more than simply a migration. Yeah, for sure. And just to end off on, we thought it would be really important and beautiful to give space for our own Olivia to provide her own creative response to this creative work and really demonstrate why poetry is such a powerful form of expression in this way and a place to explore the nuances of themes within diaspora, sex, and gender. Absolutely. 
So just to contextualize Olivia's work a little bit here, um, she's really discussing the theme of war and forging the connection between war and sexual violence, stating the idea that women's bodies really are a battleground. Um, so this is going to be really prevalent in Olivia's work, um, but also it's it's kind of a theme throughout Shire's work as well, and we see that in her poem, Your Mother's First Kiss. Um, so quoting that, it says, The first boy to kiss your mother later raped women when the war broke out. And then as well from later in the poem, she states, On walking, she found her dress was wet and sticking to her stomach, half moons bitten into her thighs. So with that introduction, we're going to give the floor to Olivia. Okay, and here goes nothing. Here's my poem. He'll talk highly about mothers, aunties, sisters, and his future children that you are obliged to bear, but any other woman is eligible to be a whore, bitch, or dispensable affair. He can only see women as human if it's a family affair. And that's kind of where we wanted to conclude our podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.